0: You're tuned in to the One Life Podcast, where we provide you with the people and discussions that will enable you to develop the principles, virtues, and mindsets required to take full advantage of the one life you have to live and to live a life that will outlive you. Now, here's your host, Army officer, ultra marathon runner, professional coach, and speaker, Devin Rodriguez. Devin Rodriguez. Ladies and gentlemen, today I have with us Joe
1: Delagrave, and I came across him on Clubhouse. No clue who he was. We, came, we became connected, and I wanted to have him on the show because after hearing his story, it was an impactful story. Very briefly, because I want Joe to jump into it and tell you about his magnificent life in multiple ways. To give you a brief synopsis, Joe was a man that grew up playing sports as a kid. Matter of fact, I think you played three sports in high school, Joe. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. Yep.
1: So three sports in high school, went off to college to play Division II sports. And then his life took a dramatic change on July 10th of 2004 as he was in a boating accident. And he spent the next 89 days of his life in the hospital and was paralyzed his identity which was rooted in his sporting career and what he wanted to do with that going forward came to an end and now he was faced with a crisis with with multiple crises but most of all an identity crisis of who am i and that is why i am so excited to have joe here He's since transitioned, and it's truly inspiring what you've done, Joe, because despite your circumstances going back and which you were able to use all of your limbs to play sports, now you're a Paralympic rugby player, which is unbelievable. How many medals do you have, by the way?
2: Uh, internationally, um, 13 gold, 4 silver, and I think 3 or 4 bronze as well. It's been <laughs> wild, man, <It's> been wild. <laughs>
1: So I think it's uh, it's safe to say that circumstances have not defined who Joe is. So without further ado, further ado, Joe, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm so excited, and this is a true honor and privilege to have you as a guest on the One Life Podcast.
2: Man, d- thank you so much for having me, Devin. I really appreciate it. Um, it's an honor to be on and excited to just have a conversation. And, and hopefully whoever's listening can get something out of it and, and, and change their life for the better as well. So just uh, appreciate you having me on, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And when I think about guests to bring on, I ask myself this question. Will this person enable the audience to develop some type of internal tool that you can't see on the surface? Can he Can he or she enable somebody to develop the internal tool required to take full advantage of the one life they have to live? And with you, that was a very, very easy decision to make because there's a lot. If someone were to look at you and judge you by your physical appearance, they see something that's a detriment. They see something that has held you back. And you are the perfect example of what could be if we ignore the outside circumstances and, dis- and focus on discovering who we are and creating our own identity. And I just wanted to mention that before I ask you to share your story. Because anytime I see, you know, I I come from a background where for years of my life, about two years, I worked alongside and I volunteered at the Special Olympics. They're handicapped in their own respect. But one thing that always blew me away was number one, how happy they were about life. Number two, how they weren't afraid to fail. I would always see them shoot a basketball. Half the time, they wouldn't get anywhere close. They'd go back to the line and shoot again and again and again. It was just unbelievable. And I I feel like if if only if only so many of us lived life that way, it would be so much better. So without further ado, Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit? Because I mentioned only a little bit. Tell us about a little your journey, because it is a journey, and how you got to where you are now being a speaker, trainer, and a pff, countless. Gold medals, Paralymp, internationally, unbelievable. So, Joe, jump right in and let us know about this journey, this thing called life.
2: Yeah. So uh, it starts growing up, and you mentioned a little bit. And I loved sports, um, and, and one of the reasons I think that I gravitated towards team environments. Uh, I did plays and musicals as well. I love to be a part of a team, and and I think why I gravitated towards that is my Uh, dad, my biological father wasn't in my life. Um, from when I was five years old up until 20, basically from when I was born up until 20. But, um, uh, when I, when I, when I was in sports, you got that affirmation. A lot of men, a large majority of men have a love language of affirmation. We want people to pat us on the back when we do something. Well, we want, constructive criticism. We want someone to say, Hey, here's, here's where you can do better. Here's where you can, uh, here's where you're doing better. Um, everything like that. I mean, even like in our marriages, sometimes like when I'm taking the trash out, I want my wife to throw me a party, you know, like it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's kind of dangerous. I think at times, um, to have this love language of affirmation, but that's what, I think I gravitated me towards sports so much. I mean, I love to compete. I love to win. I love to, um, you, you know, work as hard as I can and, you know, communicate and max effort. But, um, uh, I think rooted in it was that identity piece and getting that affirmation from people in my life. And I, and I had some phenomenal coaches in that. Um, one of them was coach bonasic and our varsity boys basketball team. And, um, my coaches in football as well. My coaches at, um, in college and football with coach Sawyer and, um, Coach Hiller and, and, and men in my life that gave me that affirmation that I desperately needed. And that was so important for me. And so my identity was, was wrapped up in it. And I think for most of us, we can kind of name like what things we identify with. I mean, you know, now it's, it's family, it's God first, it's family. Um, It's, it's, you know, being a speaker and a, and a Paralympian. And, and so like, that's not bad um, in and of itself. But when you wrap yourself up in something and it can get taken away from you, it, it, it ends up being this, this, this piece of life that you're going like, what, what am I going to do now? Who am I? Um, what does this mean for me? And so, um, that's kind of what happened when, when the accident happened. So I'm, um, kind of a little background on that. I'm, I'm a freshman in college um played as a true freshman which means I did pretty well in training camp and was able to compete and and be um I wasn't the starting tight end I was like third string we ran a lot of double tight end packages and special teams and everything like that and so uh, the whole year was amazing it was an amazing season for Winona State University where I played um it was one of their best seasons they ever had came within about two games of the national championship and um a great uh time and so everything in my life that I had kind of worked for, um, and it was just simple. I just wanted to play college athletics. It doesn't matter if it was D3, D2, D1. Like It was um, my dream, and I, got, I was playing, and I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do with my life after that, but I was playing football, and that's what mattered. Um, and then the summer of, of 2004 kind of rolls around.
1: There's a lot to unpack there. So, so Joe, run, run me through a little bit that as best you can that whole experience of the accident and then, and then those next 89 days, what was that like in terms of the mental battle that you had, you had to go through? Cause I know you, you must have, what was the mental battle like for you in those moments, those 89 days in the hospital after the accident?
2: Yeah. So to set it up, it's, it's, I'm back in my hometown of Prairie du for the, for the summer in in Wisconsin. It's a river town right on the Mississippi river that borders Iowa. So it's in Southwest Wisconsin. And, um, me and my, as college kids do, you go back, you find a job, you work that job and working out, um, getting ready for the season. And, and, um, on the weekends, my buddies and I would go out on the river. So Adam and Kyle, who are my two best friends, even to this day, um, grew up on the same street in Ohio, uh, Ohio street, um, in Prairie, Ocean, Wisconsin. And on the, on the, on the weekends, we'd go out on the river and, and mess around fish, um, knee board, water ski, whatever, go chase, you know, it, you know, it, it was just being boys. Right. And at 19, I think anyone, any listener, you can close your eyes and, and you remember that 19 years old or you're 18 years old or like you are invincible. You feel like you have, um, the world at your, at, in the palm of your hand and you can do whatever you want. And it's such a beautiful time in your life because you're dreaming about like, what do I want to do? Who, what, what do I want to major in? Or, or where am I getting a job? And, um, who do I want to, you know, like, you know, you're, you're, dating and trying to figure out like, what, who am I going to marry later in life or whatever it would be. And so, um, at that moment, you're so invincible. You feel so invincible. And for me, I'm, I was, I was six, six, 260 pounds solid and playing football in college and just felt, um, just, it, it was amazing, right? In July 9th, 2004, that's that's me. I'm 6'6", 260 pounds. And July 10th, I'm out on the boat with Kyle and Adam. Adam's kneeboarding and Kyle is driving the boat and in a back of the Mississippi River. It's not the main channel. The main channel is a little choppier. So, you go back slew to have a little bit smoother water for kneeboarding and and so we're back in this back slough, and you never know how deep or shallow these back sloughs are. And so we're going, and Kyle accidentally hits the bottom of the river. The the motor catches. Um, I'm sitting in a seat. It's it's a 75 degree day, beautiful summer day. I'm I'm sitting in my seat, hands behind my head, relaxing. And Kyle hits the bottom of the river. The chair breaks. I fly backwards, hit my head on the front of the boat inside the boat, and break my neck at the C six and seven level. I had no idea at the time that I broke my neck. I had no idea what paralysis was or a spinal cord injury was. But um, when I woke up from being blacked out for a second, Kyle and Adam are over top of me, looking down at me and there's tears in their eyes and they're going, Joe, like, you know, are you okay? And, and I had this, um, I had this raging Pain in my head from where I smashed my head, and it impacted my neck where I broke my neck, and I'm going like, guys, I'm I'm, I'm so, so much pain, so much pain, and they're like, we're calling nine one one, and 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 they said, joke, I'm sorry. Someone's
0: at front door.
2: Told totally forgot to turn that off. My bad. Hopefully, you can, a little edit work for you. After. No,
1: that'll be fine. Don't you
2: worry about. <laughs> yeah. Um. And 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 I, and they're going, Joe, can you move? your legs. And I sent the signal from my brain down through my spinal cord. Like we do subconsciously, like I'm doing, as you can see right now, Devin with my hands, I'm moving my hands. I don't even think about it. And I send that signal down through my um, spinal cord and nothing happens. And and I'm like, oh man, this isn't good. And just remembering like, you know, whatever, just take this pain away. And they're like, Joe, can you touch your legs? And they feel like your legs. And that was the most out of body experience. I remember that's when I was like, there's something wrong where I am feeling my legs, but they feel like someone else's legs. And I'm going, there's, there's something wrong. Kyle and Adam get me from, from our boat to the rescue boat with the rescuers and into the shore onto the ambulance to the local hospital um, where uh, Adam's mom met us. She was, she was, she's a nurse there still um, at the local hospital and the family doctors there. And they're doing these tests. And they're like, Joe, we got a med flight you up to the local uh, regional hospital. You're going to have to have surgery. You've had what's called a spinal cord injury. And I'm like, guys, what, what does that mean? They're like, well, you you broke your neck and um, and you're paralyzed right now. We don't know if you're going to get anything back. So they they, they 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 fly me in a helicopter up to the local hospital about an hour away, um, have surgery. And for about the first couple of days, I didn't really even think about anything. I didn't know what was really going on until two or three days later, my doctor comes in and, and I'm kind of going like, what's the deal here? You know, I've got fall football camp coming up in August. I've got to get out of this hospital, you know, you think, and, and he's like, Joe, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but there's, there's going to be, you know, there's, there's probably a 3% chance you'd be able to walk again. And I'm like, no, there's no way like I'm going to get like, I'm I'm a big rough tough football player. Like I'll, I'll power my way through this as a guy. I think sometimes we always want to take on everything because we want to show everyone that we're capable and we're strong enough and we're, we're able enough to do it. And, and my parents are in the room and they're upset. And, and at 19 already, like I said, you feel invincible, but you have questions about life. You're, you're wondering about life. And, and then this happens. And there's a lot of anger that comes up. There's a lot of bitterness. There's a lot of resentment. There's a lot of, uh, why me? And there's a lot of questioning. I'm a a believer and I'm I'm going like, God, why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? Um, I'm just praying with all my might. I'm having people around me pray that I just wiggle it like something, like, give me a sign, something um, that this is meaningful, like, is this, this some random act that happens in life? And now I'm sitting in a wheelchair. And, and at that point, I'm going like, am I going to find something th- th- that I'm passionate about or, 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 or that I have purpose in in a wheelchair? Am I going to find is this girl that I'm with going to leave me? Am I going to have kids? My mom's in the room asking the doctors, doctor, could, can my boy have sex? Is that, I'm like, mom, would you get the hell out of it? Like, no, like get out, you know, at night at 19, you're not, you're not trying to ask mom and dad about sex. And, uh, and, and, but that was like the gravity of the situation that all going on. And I remember being in that bed and just feeling stuck, feeling like, uh, you know, I couldn't really move anything yet. And, and physically, obviously uh, paralyzed and stuck, but I felt mentally stuck. I felt spiritually stuck. I felt like there was no way out of this in a positive way. Um, and mentally it was just, you know, depression setting in and wondering what was going on and, and remained upbeat in a way, but also going to sleep going, this is awful. This is not my plan. Like, you know, God, you knew about my, my passion for sports and now it's gone. That identity is ripped away. I'm, I used to be six, six and looking over a room and not just sports, just, you know, being able to come into a room and, 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 and be that big lovable teddy bear. But now I'm just laying in this bed and the doctors are telling me about caffeine and about having to do a bowel program and about like what you're going to have to do to be independent in a wheelchair. And I'm just going, I don't want any of it. I don't want any of it. And like at that moment, that was where it was. I want to tell you one more story here before uh, I pause, but about a week before my accident, July 3rd, um, I had on this Dom Beebe Need for Speed shirt. It was a Dom Beebe House of Speed shirt. It was this cutoff shirt that I had. I got it from our kicker on our team uh, one, one game, our freshman year, I'd forgot my shirt from underneath my pads. And then when let's play football, you want a shirt underneath your pads, you're not chafing and all that nonsense. And, and, uh, and I was asking around the locker room and our kicker, uh, who's a phenomenal guy. He's a, he's a head coach in college football, um, today. And, and, and he's like, Hey man, I got a shirt for you. And I'm like, great. How's the speed? And I was a tight end, but everyone knew I was pretty slow. Like the wide receiver coaches were like, Guys, why can't you get a joke and get open? He's like the slowest guy on our team. And I'm like, Can't you just say I got good footwork, man? Like, come on. But but uh and they and I could kind of see it like they were kind of grooming me to be just a really athletic left tackle type of thing. But, anyways, he gave me the shirt. I'm like, I'm not giving this bad boy back. I wore it a week before my accident. I was in a uh a basketball camp helping out as a as a um as a coach. And and, and the guy goes, Hey, what's on your shirt? And I'm like, Oh, Don BB told him the story, house of speed, whatever. And, and he's like, no, man, like, what's that Bible verse? And it's Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your understanding and in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your past. He goes, what's that saying? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like what, and, uh, you know, and he's like, and he quoted that for me. And um, and I remember thinking about it after uh, my, my accident and my sisters had put it on my wall in this cute little Pinterest, Etsy, whatever thing like, like women do. And, and um, I remember looking at it and again, just remember being pissed off, man. Just be like, no, so angry about that. Like, I'm not trusted, in no God. I'm not trying, like I'm sitting here paralyzed for no reason. I didn't do anything stupid. And this is what I'm stuck with. And you want me to trust in your plan? Like, no way. Um, and so like, that's at that moment, you know, a week, two weeks in uh, where I was with everything uh, on a mental and physical level.
1: Wow, that is incredible. Incredible. And, and before I proceed, your wife, is that girl that was back then, correct?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Wow. Incredible woman that she stuck by her side. That says something about her character and who she is as a woman. And I believe you have three beautiful kids.
2: Yeah. So we have, um, my wife and I, April. So she was there when, when I broke my neck stayed in the hospital 89 straight days with me every single day. She came every single day, never missed a day. Um, And I remember going like, this girl's got like, why does she love me so much? Like, just, you know, we're 19 and and I ended up breaking up with her for a while. That was, you know, like a really good decision on my part. Like, no, like, you know, and, and, but I remember going like, do I love this girl as much as she loves me? Like, she is phenomenal. And, And it's not like I'm like praising her for being with this crippled dude, but like just a person that, and you like, people need these in their life people that are going to lift them up when they need it and pull them back when they need it. And she's been like that way, that way for me. And we, you know, we've been together since we were 18, broke up for a little bit there, but, and that was like, it was her as a rock. It was friends from Winona state um, that came down and were just amazing to just call me at night. And then, you know, at 19, they're going out having fun in college and they're like, Hey, let's call Joe on a Saturday night. And it's like, what are you guys doing? And my football uh, teammates, my coaches. High school teammates and coaches that would come up, uh, parents and and April's parents, like there's so much overwhelming support for me um to get me through some of that. I don't think I ever spent like a day or a couple hours alone in that room, um, which was so important for me in in my growth and being able to kind of get through some of this. Um, and and obviously. Having the three babies, um, we have Braxton, who's nine, Braden, who's seven, and Brinley, who's five, and, um, has just been a miracle in and of itself. Uh, weren't sure if we're going to be able to have kids with uh, my disability. And, and, and sure enough, I had three, uh, naturally and, uh, ran, randomly went and got, I had to do, I had to get the vasectomy, man. I'm like, I can't take care of any more kids. And, and my, 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 my urologist's name was Dr. Bigelow. Little Asian dude named Dr. Bigelow, and I'm like, you can't make this up. It was awesome, um, but yeah. So d- definitely blessed uh, to have April and those uh, and those kids. They are they are my pride and joy. My number one jobs, man, is, is being a husband and being a father. Um, if I don't do those well, I'm not going to do life well. So they've been, yeah, they've been great.
1: Oh man, that that is funny. A guy that they weren't even sure if he was able to have kids, seemingly having no problem whatsoever. So that yeah. is that is incredible. And- <laughs> Truly blessed, truly, truly blessed. With that being said, you you talked a lot about overwhelming support that you received from not just your your now wife and your other family members, friends, but how does that influence how you now treat people in your life after seeing the support that other people gave you when you were down at your lowest?
2: Yeah, I mean, it is. it's something that we talk to the kids a lot about and is... I mean, it's so important. And I, and I, and I fail, I feel, I probably at this every single day, but what we strive to do and what we tell the kids and what we strive to do is love people. Um, You know, as as believers, um, our greatest commandments is to um, love the Lord God and then love your neighbor period and full stop. That's it. And people try to make it really difficult. Well, this guy acts this way, or this girl acts this way, or they're no, like, that's not like, just love people and that's what our world needs that in a major way and people um did that for me and came up were so kind i mean i love how you talked about when you were coaching with special olympics and like the absolute joy that some of these humans have like i can't help but think that they're there for a reason just to be a light and they just have so much joy in it. And so, and, and, and a lot where, where, where I talk about too is, Hey, we're going to go through dark times. We're going to go through circumstances outside of our control. I didn't want to, I don't want to break my neck. I want to be in this wheelchair. I, you know, I could play the blame game with Kyle and be like, it's Kyle's fault. And like, you know, like if you're on paper, uh, he caused the accident. So I could just be like, well, it's Kyle's fault and I'm just going to go boohoo in my room for the rest of my life. Or, and, and I tell my kids this all the time, like and, and teammates and whoever will listen is failure, when you fail, it doesn't define you. Like when you fail, it doesn't define you, but the choice you make afterwards certainly does. Like when we fail and we do something, when we mess up or whatever it is, um, it could be in sports, it could be in relationships, it could be in, in business. How we respond to that circumstance is how we are going to be defined because that's what your character is made of. That's what your reputation gets made of is those choices in those moments.
1: That is so true. And I never heard it put like that before. So that is awesome, Joe. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> so that kind of leads into the next thing. So you went through all of that. At what point did you know that you wanted to start to use your voice to influence and enable people to live a better life for themselves?
2: Yeah, I talk a lot about passion. Um, and and passion is great. And it, There's books on this about passion and purpose. And most people that are living life doing their passion aren't um, that much happier than people that aren't doing their life with their passion. It's that purpose piece that we find. So um, for me, and I've been able to speak full time the last couple of years, but for me, I think it's always been in me it's always been a gifting that maybe I hadn't tapped into, but I, like I said, I always loved being part of a team. I always loved being plays and musicals and, and afterwards, um, you know, wanted to be on stage or whatever. And and we'll talk maybe a little bit about rugby later, but, um, but with rugby, that was always my passion was like sports. And I got that back. And I was like, wow, I was able to play a sport uh, for this long and, 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 you know, and, and for my country. But once I started speaking, and realized that is my purpose. That's where my passion and purpose intersect. Because speaking is a, it's kind of like an athletic sport. You got, you might have talent, you might be gifted, but you got to work better. You got to work harder. I mean, you probably know this with your podcast, like, oh, I could do this better, this better. I could tweak this. Like there's always, you're always learning, which I love, but then it's like, no, like, even though I might've I'm way better now than I would have been earlier. I was still doing it. I was stepping in obedience, doing that and, and realizing that's where my passion and purpose intersected. Um, Cause if I can share my story with people, um, Brené Brown says, it, it, she says, um, your story, you're being vulnerable and telling your story is giving someone else a roadmap for success that you don't know. And so it's a lot about planting seeds you don't always get to see the transformation, but you can be obedient and planting the seeds um, and, and talking to people and really focusing. Obviously, my story is a lot about my accident and my life and my journey, but I think there's a lot of nuggets along the way that people can take responsibility for themselves, look in the mirror and go, how can I make myself better? Am I playing the blame game or am I being a victor in life? Um, and, and And if I can continue to share that story to as many people that will listen to it, then I think I'm doing my job and um, doing my purpose.
1: 100%. And the thing that I believe that you're doing is that you're using your story, but you understand that your story is not for you. It's for other people to experience. And my, what well, my mentor says is that whenever you're speaking to an audience, you want to enable them to become the heroes of your story. And in that, influence them to take immediate action to change their lives. And with that story, wholeheartedly, I believe that you're doing that. So this thing called rugby, you being a Paralympian, which is awesome. That's so, so, so cool. First Paralympian I've had on this show. Not sure if I'll have another one unless you pass me one of your friends. But this (laughs) is this is so cool. So talk to me. How did this even come about? And like so what I'm really interested in. Matter of fact, is you were so in love with sports. It was stripped away from you. Did you ever first, did you ever believe that you would play sports again? And then how did you come across Paralympic rugby and what was that transition like?
2: Yeah, right away. I didn't think I was going to play sports again. Like I remember one of my coaches came up and gave me a, I was in the hospital still gave me a card. Hey, there's there's uh these adaptive sports. They're amazing. Here's a guy's number. Um, if you ever want to get into them. And I'm just like, whatever. Cause for me, I think part of the, um, where I was holding back was I, I did not want to be seen as a man with a disability. I did not want to like my identity was sports before and big, strong, tall, whatever. And, and I'm going like, no, Wheelchair or adaptive sport is going to give me that. And like truly, man, I'm I'm just gonna keep it. Re- like, I thought they were pathetic. I thought I'm not out for a hug, man. Like, I'm not no, like, I don't want to do this. And um, and so I just shied away from it. I didn't want to be around anyone in wheelchairs, and um, something happened in my life where. Um, randomly, kind of randomly not, but I had people in my life, like I said, that supported me in a loving way, in a tough, loving way, build me up when I needed, pull me back when I needed it. Uh, when I went home, uh, every 19-year-old kid's dream, bro, is to, to move back in with mom and dad, right? No, not at all. But I go home and, uh, and, and, and I'm just eating my feelings. I'm eating, I, I, I ballooned up to about 290 or 285 pounds. Um, I was about 220 when I left the hospital um and just eight and eight and eight and my buddy kyle who had, was driving the boat he one day he's like hey man um we should uh we should weigh you and i'm like what are you talking about bro like i'm probably like 250 whatever like i'm he's like yeah like we should probably just should probably just like weigh you and see where you're at and i'm like all right man whatever and we went to the local hospital Um, there was no wheelchair skills there. It's just, you you zero out of bed, get on the bed and it weighs you in the bed. And I got in there and the bed said two eighty five, and I'm like, your bed's broke. Like this bed doesn't work, man. There's no way. Um, and so I'm like, zero it out. Let's do it again. So I get, I get out, uh, get my wheelchair. They zero it out. I get on there again. It says the same thing. And, and I'm like, I understand what you're doing, Kyle. Thank you. And it took that to go, you know, maybe, maybe I should be working out somehow maybe I should be exercising somehow and ended up looking up wheelchair sports. um, Saw that there was wheelchair basketball, like everyone and basketball is probably my favorite sport. um, Even over football. I was like, I don't want to play wheelchair basketball now. And I realized I didn't have the function for it anyway, uh, from a physical standpoint. And, and there was like wheelchair racing and track and field, whatever. And I'm like, I do not want to run. Like, I didn't want to run as an able-bodied. There's no way I want to run uh, in a wheelchair and push in a wheelchair around a circle. Like that sounds terrible. Um, a lot of people like to run. I don't. I, that's just me. Uh, and then I clicked on this, like basically clickbait. It said murder ball. And I'm like, what in the heck's murder Like murder ball, what? And, and um, click on it. And wheelchair rugby used to be called murder ball. And saw these people smashing into each other. I don't know if you're watching the video. Like, it, I mean, it's crippled people, like, trying to make each other more crippled. Like, it is a wild a wild deal. And I'm like, I, I need to try this thing out. This looks awesome. And I ended up going up to uh, a practice up in Minneapolis, Minnesota at a place called Courage Center. Uh, a bunch of adaptive sports there. A bunch of stuff going on. And, and got up there, dude. And, 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 um, and they said, hey, why don't you get in a chair? And I'm like, okay. So, I got in a chair. Uh, it took like 45 minutes to figure it out. April's with me. I had like a sliding board, baby powder, the whole, thing. like, it was, it was, uh, it was not a pretty sight. Like I was very disabled. They were all making fun of me. Cause I'm all crippled and bring all the accessories or whatever. And, and, and it finally got in it. And then 30 minutes into practice, I remember going over for a drink of water, talking to April. And then, and I remember feeling like, wow, I'm an athlete again. I'm a terrible athlete. I'm fat. I'm out of shape. They're like spraying the balls over, but I'm an athlete again. Um, and a piece of my identity that I love, that, that passion and desire for sports that I love is back and it was that humble beginning that led to this career in, in, in the Paralympics and wheelchair rugby and an eight-time captain and a lot of different accolades. Um, but it's that it's that swoop where, where you're up here and you come down and you're, you're in this valley and you start to rise again. You see the opportunities in life because of the choices you're making and because of um, um, the faith that you have and the family and friends and the supportive group around you. Um, that moment started that career in, in wheelchair rugby.
1: Dude, I, I freaking love you. Can I just say that? Am I allowed to say that, Joe? I love you, man. You are <laughs> yeah. your your story is just um it's just it, it's exhilarating. It's exhilarating to see what what a human who is, you know, we talk about self-actualizing. I, I believe you're doing that. And to see that and hear it right now is is unbelievable, actually, and it's really inspiring me as I'm sitting here. And the one thing I hear a lot that you're saying is, is decisions. I've made this choice. I made this decision. I made this choice. I made that decision. And I believe that, you know, in life we make decisions and our decisions make us. And what what you're doing, you made the decision to not stay where you were, but to dive back in and to take a risk, honestly, you didn't know what the hell you were doing, showing up for, for rugby and smashing yeah, yeah. into people. <laughs> That's crazy. So then, how many people in America are in some type of rugby Paralympic league? Is there a certain? Do you know the number or what yeah, it's the like?
2: Yeah, there's a domestic league that we have in the states. That's the biggest domestic league in the world. That's forty to forty five teams on a given year, um, depending on it. Because a lot of it could be we have rec level. We call it D three rec level. Division twos, is kind of intermediate, and Division one's like elite. Um, rugby uh, that a lot of us Paralympians play on teams like that. And so um, usually on a on a given year, we're going to have 500 registered members, um, but uh, probably thousands and thousands um, of men and women that have played. It's a co-ed sport, officially a co-ed sport. So there's women that play too, um, but thousands, thousands and thousands. I would say, I would say probably closer to 10,000 people that wow. are still living in this country that have played this sport or or quadriplegics or uh other disabled disabled uh athletes that are that qualify for the sport that have played um in this sport it's a pretty big number um that that have done it yeah
1: so then how did it turn into you being on the paralympic team because this is this is cool now i'm getting excited all these people playing how'd you end up on a paralympic team
2: yeah man so it's it's um it's goal set, goal setting is the biggest thing like i for most people are like yeah i got a goal i got to go out and i'm like all right did you tell anyone about it no all right how many goals you got just the one all right um so have you done anything about it no all right well you got a dream that's cool dreams are good that's that's the dream and so the dream was let's i remember 2008 uh, watching the beijing gold medal team over in beijing they're playing australia they ended up winning uh win the gold and i'm watching i'm like i want to do that that's what i want to do and then from there, from that dream, it's like let's set goals. And why uh, goal setting is so important, and doing it strategically is really important too. You got to set up little goals because those little goals are going to give you the momentum. Just like like just like having one cheat meal when you're dieting or whatever you're you know, And and you let that go into two, three, four. Like it's momentum the, the bad way. And so those little moments, So I was like, I need to obviously I need to lose weight. I, I can't push almost three hundred pounds around um, in a 40, 45 pound wheelchair and be good at the sports. So I got to lose weight. So I started, started out there. I wanted to lose 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30, like whatever that was and and set up a way to do that. And then, um, and then like, I want to get invited to, um, a, a USA tryout. How do I do that? I, I was like, man, all right. Who's the coach. Okay. He's the coach. He's in Texas. All right. He's got a summer slam, whatever, uh, camp. I'm going to that then. Like I, so you, you make those choices and you put yourself out there and you chase after it, you pursue it. Um, and so as you start stepping up the ladder towards your goal, you get momentum. Here's the big thing that people slip on. They fail that like we are going to fail when we're pursuing something, we're going to fail. I, and like I said before, that's where we get defined is how we choose and our, what our response is in our failure. So For me, that was, you know, I was cut from, I made the 2009 training team, but was cut before we went to our uh, major tournament that year. In 2010, I was cut from the world championship team, um, ended up having this wild tryout for three guys because someone retired and ended up making that team and the rest is history. But those moments when you fail, you have an opportunity to pause and then look back on where you've came. So in that moment, I could have been like, well, no, you guys like coaches, you got it wrong. You put the blame game. you find Eric. Cause there's easy, it's easy to find like blame game type stuff. That blame game fuel is everywhere. Right. We're, I mean, we're a society of it. Like, no, it's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. Um, but then you pause and you look back on your progress and on your journey. And I'm looking back to when I was 19 and decided like, I want to do something with my life. And my first, my, my first goal is to put on some socks and some shorts and a t-shirt and get my wheelchair. And then it's like, maybe I'll push around the block. And then it's like, you know what, let's go back to college. I want to finish my degree. Uh, yeah, Wheelchair, I, I want to start losing weight. I ended up losing 90 pounds. But the, the, like, what, the momentum, the big momentum comes when you fail, you pause, you have perspective, and you keep on going. You say, you know what, I'm not going to let one failure stop me. I'm going to keep on going. Um, and, and so I, I firmly believe That that goal setting, setting those small goals up to your big goal, that pause and that um, that perspective, and then the choices you make when you fail, are what's going to make you successful.
1: Yeah, I had a guest on. I don't know if you've heard of the Iron Cowboy.
2: Yes, yes,
1: James Lawrence. Yeah, so him him and I are pretty good friends, and he came on the show. Uh, we text here and there, you know, we're not best friends. But regardless, I had him on the show and we communicate right before he was going to do yeah. what he's doing now. A hundred, hundred Ironmans in a hundred days. And I asked him, you know, how, how the hell do you do something like that? He exactly like you just said, man, I just focused on one day at a time. Because if I just conceptualize how much longer I have to go, it'll just eat me alive. So, so like similar to me, for example, I, I'm an, I'm an ultra marathon runner. So I run pretty far distances and I just, I just won a race. It was called one mile at a time, coincidentally, but it was a last man standing run. I'm not sure if you know what that is, but you had to run 1.05 mile in 15 minutes until there's one person remaining. And the thing that I learned was I couldn't focus on, you know, how much longer do I have? How much longer do I have? All I could focus on was I had to do one more mile, and what yeah. you just said reminded me of that so so. Oh, that's so, good, so man. Hard. That's
2: good, yeah. Oh, you
1: know, man. So it's it's a lot of fun, and I, I love where you're talking about it. And it's you challenge yourself, and that's where the personal growth really happens, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm a man of faith as well. I'm I'm big, big, big Christian into my faith. I own that. I'm a big Christian. It mm, feels good to say
2: that. <laughs> there it is.
1: But uh, talk about. Your relationship with with God, and and is it Jesus in in your case? Okay, so talk about your relationship with Jesus. How did that transpire? Because as you said, when you went into the hospital, you damned God pretty much. You said, God, why are you putting me through this? why would you do and and similar to me i of course i wasn't in your situation but growing up going through six years of bullying and and just being beat up emotionally physically mentally every day you ask those questions but then i also noticed that on the back end of all of that was was everything i could have ever wanted and i'm 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 closer now with god than i've ever been in my life so what what is that relationship with god how does that transpire for you and then secondly as you look back on everything that's happened
2: what do you say about it all yeah so that 19 year old kid and he's laying in the bed and he feels trapped he feels stuck and he's staring at that bible verse And it's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on on your your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. I'm going, God, like, send me something, a sign, give me something to let you, uh, is there purpose in this? Is there something there? And two things, more than two things, but there was, there was a theme that happened where I slowly realized that I needed to trust in the Lord that I couldn't re- rely on my understanding because I wouldn't understand it. There, like, I wouldn't fathom it. I wouldn't understand the blessings that were coming. Um, if I just step in obedience, a lot of people call it a leap of faith. It's not a leap of faith. It's just step, take a, take a baby step. Next day, take another baby step. Like there's no leap. It's just a baby step. Um, and anyway, in August of 2004 um, found out that uh gentleman in our a young 16, 16 year old kid in our youth group that I grew up with in our church um, got in an accident. And they said, Joe, he broke his neck. He was on a dirt road um, in Iowa over the river and um, at a state fair. And he was taking his truck home and um, got in an accident and flew out his window and broke his neck. He died on an impact. And Devin, I was like, Remember the gravity of that and and going like, why me and why not him? I heard more about a story and that he had been witnessing to a kid at the state fair that night going like, hey, if I die tomorrow, I know where I'm going. Do you know where you're going? And I'm going like, why would you take someone like me who is more worried about football, more worried about pleasing his coaches than I was pleasing God? Why would you do that? I don't understand it. And I kept on reminding, uh, uh, being reminded, um, through the power of the Holy spirit saying second chances, second chances, second chances, second chances I've given you a second chance. What are you going to do with it? And I remember looking at that verse and I go, okay, all right, I'm, I'm going to start getting out of this chair or I'm going to start getting out of this bed into this chair. I'm gonna start doing my therapy. I'm going to work as hard as I can to get back whatever I could. Um, you know, I wanted to walk again and I, and I had that pleading with God going like, I, I see it in the Bible that your paralyzed. People are being healed. Like, why am I not being healed? I was going like, if I get healed, like that's going to be a great story that I, I'd love to like share a story about that. And, uh, beginning of this podcast, I said, I always said, it's always in you 13 years old, God gave me a theme of threes in my life. I was begging for a sign that was already there. I was 13 years old. I was at a district youth conference um, and remember just feeling like I was going to be a speaker on that stage someday and going like, no way. Like they're like, that's not me. And like, they're like way cool. This. I remember this dude at an a- Houston Astros Jersey on like the, like the three, the killer bees were big at that time. Right. And like, I'm going, this guy is so dope. Like this is, there's no way, you know, and six years later I have this accident where I break my neck and God gave me another three. The first one was 13 Uh, that three, the next one was Proverbs three. And, and I'm going like, I have all these questions. I don't know. I don't know. I have all these questions. That verse was given to me on July 3rd, another three. God goes, I got a plan for your life. Trust in me. Trust in me. I got a plan for, I know you love sports. You thought your biggest accomplishment was going to be division two football. I'm going to give you three letters to wear across your chest. USA. I'm, I'm training for my third Paralympics. I didn't make the 2016 team, but I'm training for my third segment of Paralympics. I have three beautiful kids. I have permanent victory, not in my athletic identity, but in whose I am, not who I am. Permanent victory means stepping in obedience what God calls you to do and be in purpose. At 33 years old, I said, "God, I'm going to be a speaker, and I'm going to share my story for Your glory." That's my journey of God simply showing His faithfulness when all our hope is lost, when when we don't understand what's going on, when you've had situations, and it might not be paralysis and being in a wheelchair and a story like mine, but I guarantee. Each and every person listening to this has gone through something in their life that is awful. Whether it's abuse, whether it's addiction, whether it's uh, broken marriage or family, uh, your dad not being in your life like like mine was, and you've gone through it. God is faithful. When we lose our identity in business, and our identity in sports, our identity in whatever it is that we have. God is faithful every single time. He talked to me about second chances. I'll share this story uh, to end it. But um, that second chances thing resonated. And I was thinking more and more about seeing my dad. He had been in and out of prison. And I'm kind of going like, I don't know, man. I don't don't really want to go see him. He doesn't deserve to go see me. Like, he didn't deserve it. I talked to April about it. Hey, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about going to see my dad in jail. I was hoping, like, she'd say no. She's like, that is the best idea. You absolutely should. I've been praying about this. And so, November of 2005, uh, a, about a year and a, uh, a couple months after my accident, I go and see my dad. It's the first time I'd seen him since I was five years old. I remember going into the waiting room. He came out with the green jumpsuit. The whole thing was kind of weird because I had to, I didn't, I didn't know how to advocate for myself as in a wheelchair. They're like, you can't bring your your, your wheelchair in there, and I'm like. Okay, And they, they I went into this like granny looking hospital chair to see my dad for the first time in 15 years. And when I went in there, he comes out with the green jumpsuit. He sits down across from me April's there and we're munching on some snacks. and I remember looking at my dad and his eyes looked like my eyes. His freckles looked like my freckles. His features and personality were the same. and uh in 2016 he passed away but for 11 years we were able to mend a broken relationship because of god being faithful because you trust in the lord with all your heart and leave not on your understanding there's a lot of things we don't understand in this world but if we just remain obedient even when we can't see the impact even when we can't see the the the, the plants growing up and pushing through the soil We remain faithful and step in obedience and just rely on who he says we are. The power of the I am statement has got me through a lot of tough times. I am a child of God. I am who he says I am. And if you say that right away in the morning, man, you're gonna have a great day. Knowing that, that God is faithful, even when we, our hope is gone, even when we don't understand it, he is going to be faithful each and every day
1: that is a beautiful 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 story and the god our god works in such a beautiful way allowing you and your father to have that relationship for 11 years that you didn't have for 15 years is just is just amazing and it, i i felt that you know and you told a story how a story should be told man i i feel that one that was that was amazing cuz it came from your heart and and i believe that the audience they could feel that too. That is just so beautiful. And your relationship with your faith, despite what you've gone through. Mm, 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 mm. Imagine you didn't have that to fall back on your faith. Imagine you weren't a man of faith. I I don't know. I, I, I look back on my life. If I didn't have my faith, I'm not sure I would be able to get through certain situations. And thank you for exemplifying yeah. what a man of faith looks like. And uh, I should just say a person of faith, because it's irregardless of your gender. You just so happen to be a man, but a person of faith and the power, the power of that. And I I, I heard something today. You said that when you were 13, you saw yourself being on a stage, but that didn't really come to fruition until 20 years later, because the idea just continued to persist in your life. I was Mm -hmm. listening to Dr. Miles Monroe today. I'm not sure if you know who he is. If you don't, I highly recommend you listen to him. But he said that there's two types of ideas, good ideas and God ideas. The way to (laughs) differentiate between the two is that God ideas are the ideas when you put them off, they keep coming back until you give them attention. And I think that what you just said exemplified what a God idea looks like. Listening to that calling. There's a great quote I love. Your job is what you're paid for. Your calling is what you're made for. And you are literally living out your calling. And it's just magical, magical to see, Joe. So if I had to say, what is one word, before I ask my last question, one word, that if I had to ask you to describe yourself in, just one word, Joe is blank. What do you think that would be for you?
2: I think... Um... I'm being real with myself and looking at, it, cause I tend to, I, end, I tend to, I, t- I tend to be too humble sometimes. Like I think Christians do this sometimes we're <laughs> a little too humble. Like a lot of time. like, I mean, if you look at it, like there's man, it's like savage Jesus. It's just like, no, like anyway. Um, but I want to, I want to be remembered as, as someone that loves um, love. I think we need that in our world today. I think a lot of people don't understand what it is. Um, but and you can love people through things. You can it could be tough love. It could be, you know, like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna love my boys differently because of their personalities. Um, same with my daughter, I'm gonna love her. It's gonna look different, but loving, loving your neighbor, loving the people in your community, loving the people in your workplace, loving your teammates or whatever, like whatever it would be. And 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 that's me. And that's there's a difference between loving people and being a people pleaser. Um I just, I just want to love people and, and, and do it in a God um, honoring way.
1: Amen. Amen. Amen to that God honoring way. And we feel that love. Trust me. We definitely, definitely do. Last thing, last thing, Joe, as you look back and you're 95 years old (laughs) talking to your great grandchildren on that rocking chair outside on a bright sunny day, what is, the message that you hope the world heard from you, Joe Delagrave, that in your lifetime, if the the world could take anything away from you in terms of a specific message, what would that be?
2: Yeah, i i want to I want to share with people, and i hope I hope that this is my legacy. Um, but I want to live a life that is showing that I'm choosing permanent victory. I'm choosing victory. In whose I am each and every day by my choices that I'm making. I'm choosing victory by um, showing that I'm loving people. I'm choosing victory by being obedient um, to what God's calling me to be, which is a husband and father, first and foremost, and hopefully a grandfather one day. Um, But remaining obedient, stepping into obedience, even when I can't see the fruit, even when I can't see the impact, remaining faithful. Um, Hopefully they say I finished the race uh, with faithfulness, with obedience, with a little bit of humor and grace. Um, I would be, I'd be pleased if that, if that were the case. And that's what I'm working on. Let's keep grinding, baby.
1: It's looking like you're winning the race. You're not going to finish. You're going to win the race, Joe. And that's what I love. So, Joe, thank you so much for being with us. I love you repping the Team USA t-shirt right now. <laughs> and those three letters you wear across your chest are some beautiful letters, aren't they?
2: They they are absolutely are, man. Absolutely <laughs> well, are.
1: Joe, thank you for being uh, such a steward of those three letters that you wear across your chest because you don't only wear them across your chest. I believe that you hold them in your heart. And I could see that within this last hour. So thank you for being here with us. An absolute pleasure. And can't wait. We're going to have to do a part two to this because I got a lot more questions, but not enough we, time. We're going to have to bring
2: it back. we have to bring it back. <laughs> we bring it back.
1: Yeah. Well, Joe, thank you. And you take care. Thank you so yeah, much for De- being here.
2: Yeah, Devin, thank you for your, for your service to this country. And really appreciate you uh, having me on, man. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the One Life Podcast, where we discuss how to live a life of impact. Fulfillment and Contribution. If this added value to you, please be sure to subscribe to our show, leave us a review, and share our show with a friend. And that will enable us to touch even more lives. For more of us, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at One Life Podcast. As always, you only have one life to live. There's no time to wait. Act now. now.